If you'd all join me in prayer. Almighty Father, as we bow before you on this Sabbath day, this day you have set apart as one of many Sabbaths in your word, we pray that this day would be a, an inspiration for each of us, that each of us would go away understanding a little more about you, a little more about your word as you have set before us a day to focus on you, a day to remember all that you have done for us and for Israel of past, that you would be a continued guide, a continued blessing for each of us as we go forward in this world. We pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll be with all those sincerely seeking your truth, that you would help them to open their minds, to know there's more to this life than this life, that we have a promise from you, a promise for an eternal blessing if we prove faithful. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll help us in this message, that you'll guide our thoughts, and that this word might be from you, that each of us would gain and learn and have a desire for more zeal to more stid. One teaching of the scriptures has been ignored and neglected more than any other down through history. Can you guess what it is? I know what you're thinking. Yahweh's feast days. The seventh-day Sabbath. His name. Those have all been neglected for sure. But believe it or not, there's still a biblical truth that is far more overlooked far more ignored than those. The biblical teaching that has been abandoned by churchianity more than all of these is the principle, the law of the sabbaticals. Sabbaticals. The Sabbath year and Jubilee years are the most forgotten of all Yahweh's special appointed times, even by Sabbath keepers. Both biblical history and prophecy profoundly hang on the Sabbath times that Yahweh gave us. Now, you may not recognize that, but if we would go back into the Chronicles and go back into the dating of all these things, you'd be surprised how much is dependent on or even direct result of the sabbaticals. It's one of the more mysterious and intriguing of scriptures. It's like discovering a key that opens the door to exciting treasures, to exciting things to learn. And when you get into it, it it really is a fascinating study. Most who observe the Bible's weekly Sabbath are aware that Yahweh gave his Sabbath observances as special times that were to stop from our daily grind and focus on him. In addition, the annual Sabbaths and extra annual Sabbaths are very important to our Heavenly Father, not just the weekly Sabbath. Key events occurred in those times as well. And the most earth-shattering of all, I believe, will be the coming of Yahshua the Messiah. The Hebrew root for Sabbath, Shabbat, Strong's Exhaust Concordance 76-73, means cessation or rest. Yahweh Sabbaths are periodic rest times where we, we uh, 
drop what we're doing, drop the cares of the world, and we focus on him. Yahweh Sabbaths are regular periodic times of this. We allow him to draw us into closeness with him. Ezekiel 20, verse 12, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am Yahweh that sets them apart, sanctifies them. Observing his, his Sabbaths is an obligation for every believer, not just, again, the weekly Sabbath, not just the Sabbaths of the feast days, but there's more to it, which I want to get into today. It's the obligation, a commitment shared with other observers, which are sealed in his sacred name by the Holy Spirit. Each weekly Sabbath reminds us that Yahweh sets apart a seventh day that we might recall his great creative power, as well as the redemption we have through his son, Yahshua. 52 times a year, we take a Sabbath rest from our daily activities. Join the body of Messiah. Join in their studies. Join in their learning. Join in their fellowship. Join in their praise. To revive and strengthen our faith. It's all about growing in the spirit, growing in knowledge and understanding. Not only is the seventh day of the week holy to our Heavenly Father, but he also gave us special Sabbaths every seven years. Leviticus 25 details that. Important events of history and prophecy are tied up in these specially sanctioned times. Yet the Israelites long ago abandoned the keeping of the sabbatical years and in the process missed out on a critical aspect of Yahweh's prophetic plan. Deuteronomy 5.15 is the uh, restating of the fourth commandment, and it gives us some additional insights into the broader concept of what we're talking about here, the Sabbath. And you shall remember that you were a servant, that's a key phrase, were a servant in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your Elohim brought you out thence by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your Elohim commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why does he tie the issue of slavery and servitude in with the Sabbath? Well, because of a connection to another Sabbath, the 50th year Sabbath, which is called the Jubilee, a year of release of slavery and servitude. You know, after wandering around for 40 years, and I wonder how they, how they did this, they're wandering around in a wilderness area for 40 years. They said their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. I guess they got dirty. I don't know what they did about washing and so forth. But anyway, Israel finally crossed over the Jordan and somewhat conquered the land that Yahweh promised them, the land of Canaan, somewhat. But they hadn't been complete in driving out the enemy. There were pockets of heathen religion and culture that proved to be their downfall. When Yahweh allowed them to be conquered by foreign powers, Deuteronomy 7, the northern ten tribes, often referred to as Ephraim because they were the dominant tribe, were taken into captivity to the area of present-day northern Iraq by the Assyrians and subsequently moved north and west over the Caucasus Mountains, hence the name Caucasian. This occurred in the 7th century BCE. The southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin were allowed to remain in the land and had the advantage of watching 
of observing, of seeing from a distance the wrath of Yahweh on their ten tribe Ephraim brethren who were taken captive. Judah was also guilty of ignoring Yahweh's laws despite the warning of Yahweh's messengers. Second Chronicles 36, And Yahweh Elohim of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of Elohim and despised his words and misused his prophets. They didn't want the prophets talking to them. They didn't want the prophets telling them they're doing things wrong. They misused the prophets, killed the messengers. You know how it goes. And despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of Yahweh rose against his people, till there was no remedy. He's had enough. He can't take it anymore. There's nothing else he could do. That's Second uh, Chronicles 36, 15 to 16. Shrugging off the plight of the northern ten tribes, Judah and Benjamin behaved even worse. According to Jeremiah 3.8, about a hundred years later, the southern tribes, Judah, Benjamin, were taken along with their priests captive to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Only a few farmers and poor folk remain in the land. This is all because of their refusal to obey Yahweh as he commanded them to do, as he prophesied they would, rejecting his laws, particularly the land Sabbath, the land Sabbath. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, that's Cyrus, to fulfill the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah. Notice these words. Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years, seventy. Seventy. Seventy Sabbaths. They had ignored Yahweh's word. So the Holy Land takes a rest. How about that? So long as Israel was captive in Babylon, the promised land lay idle and desolate. Yahweh says, you're not going to let the land lay idle? I'll take you off of it. And it will lay idle. Accumulating 490 years that they weren't on the land. Yahweh's laws demanded that the uh, uh, land lay idle. For, every, for a year, every seven years, and thus Yahweh says that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. So when they had paid their dues, he was going to bring them back in. Because you ignored my Sabbath for the land, I will make the land rest and you are out of here. You're going to be under control of a foreign mighty one a foreign deity, a foreign king, so to speak, because you ignored it. In addition, every seven sabbatical years were followed by a jubilee year, every 50 years. The word jubilee is derived in the Bible from the Hebrew yobel, which means ram, ram's horn or and jubilee year. See, the ram's horn announced the start of that jubilee the beginning of the Jubilee year. Whenever a trumpet was used to signal an event in Scripture, something significant was happening. This, in this case, it was the shofar trumpet, 
It was an alert that something was about to happen they need to pay attention to. Now, Yasha said, he'll return with what? Sound of a great trumpet. Maybe I should say the great sound of a trumpet. However you want to look at it, Matthew 24, 31. It's the trumpet sound announcing his return. And it's a trumpet sound that announces both the jubilees and the return of Yahshua. And is that just coincidence? There's an inseparable tie here between the two events. Notice in Leviticus 25, 9. Then shall you cause the trumpet of the jubilees to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout your land. Keeping the sabbatical years that uh, Yahweh commanded was important. It bestowed the designation where we get the name Holy Land to Judea. Because the land was holy. And they ignored that fact because they didn't let it rest. Israel learned that the sabbatical jubilees were holy both to the land and to, the, uh, and to, uh, to Yahweh himself. So the question of us is, do we still honor these sabbaticals? Do we still expect his laws, his statutes, and his judgments to be in effect today? In our day and age, does he change his expectations according to the culture according to the times? Or does the Bible say that Yahweh doesn't change, Malachi 3.6? Asked and answered. (laughs) It confirms that we worship a changeless mighty one. Obedience has not been reduced, let alone abandoned. Sabbaticals are part of the covenant that we are joined to, the covenant Yahweh made with Israel. The sabbatical jubilee was part of the the deal Yahweh made with Israel, with Moses, established with Moses, Exodus 24, 1 to 8. I won't read it, but that you can check it up later. The earliest Bible reference concerning the sabbatical jubilee is found in Exodus 21, 2 to 6. And if you buy... And Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free." Then the master shall bring him into the judge, and he shall also judge him, uh, bring him to the door or unto the door post, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. That's the uh, earliest that we have concerning the sabbatical jubilee cycle, dealing with the release of the slave. We'll get more into that, more detail a little bit. The sabbatical cycle in certain instances influenced Israel's daily living. The right of an heiress to marry was restricted so that the law of the Jubilee could be preserved. You'll find the answer in Numbers 36, 4 to 7. Naboth refused to sell his vineyard so that it would remain 
in the family as an inheritance, 1 Kings 21.14. The Jubilee will be kept in the millennium as shown by Ezekiel 46.17, where the king is reminded that any property given to a servant reverts to its original owner, the king, at the time of the Jubilee. Well, Yahshua as our king is going to take control too. Once again, of this earth as its original owner. Yahshua's return on a jubilee would be consistent with the purposes of the jubilee of the millennium. And I have to believe, I am convinced, it'll be a jubilee year. Other references to the jubilee are found in Nehemiah 5, 1 to 19, Isaiah 5, 7 to 10, 37, 30, and 61, 1 to 2. The sabbatical year, or Shemitah, was, we learn from Leviticus 25.4, occurs every seventh year, a Sabbath of rest, both of the land and to the farmer and to Yahweh. The fields aren't to be sown. The vines are not to be reaped or pruned. I should say pruned. No crops are to be planted. The vineyards must not be harvested. The produce of the land and vineyard could be eaten but not stored or preserved, and you couldn't harvest it. You go out and grab it and eat it. And I'm wondering if that's what Yasha was doing when he walked through the field. Remember, and they accused him of breaking the Sabbath? He was, if it was Sabbath uh, year, then he was simply grabbing. He wasn't you know, harvesting, but just grabbing something to eat as he walked through. After seven of these sabbatical years, or 49 years, the next year, the 50th, is the Jubilee. The Jubilee. The Jubilee is an intensification of the Sabbath year. The following slide, if I can get it up. Somewhere on this button. I haven't used this in about, what, two years? This is a new, new device. I don't even know how it works. There we go. Okay, um, did this little chart here, went through the scriptures and noted each uh, uh, command of the sabbaticals, the land Sabbath uh, every seven years, and also the Jubilee. Now, you see the difference there. The land and vineyards are to rest, no planting or harvesting. All voluntary foods can be eaten but not stored. Things that come up by themselves, you could... You could uh, eat but not store them, not harvest them. And the servants receive freedom, and debts are canceled. Now, this is big. In our, in our economy, debts are canceled. I mean, are you kidding me? Go to the banker and tell him that? Uh-huh. Well, here's the Jubilees. See the difference here. Land and vineyards are rest to rest. Yeah, no planting or harvesting, same thing. But the land reverts to its original owner. And Yahweh did this so that the the tribes would get their land that he assigned to them back again. That's why that is there. All Israelite slaves were freed. Now, the servants received freedom in the sabbaticals, but the Israelite slaves, those of Hebrew origin, Hebrew heritage, were freed. And then the debts were canceled as well. So there's a little bit of difference between the two. So, 
what happens is the sabbatical jubilee years might be called the great leveler of the Israelite society. Everybody had to do this, the rich as well as the poor. It's the great equalizer, you might say, of the culture. Through them, everyone was equal before Yahweh, and neither the rich nor the poor could cultivate his field. What about today? Well, we live in an industrialization world, industrialized world, and far more complicated financial uh, system, the laws of Yahweh, certainly lightly esteemed by modern society. The fiscal demands of industry, manufacturing, commerce, and banking are not appeased by fallowed farmland. The average farmer today who owes on his land and lets his land rest, he's going to get knocking on the door by the uh, bankers and say, wait a minute, you haven't made a payment on your land. Well, I can't. I can't grow anything. That's your problem, they would say. I want my money. It's my money, and I want it now. You know, Canceling of a borrower's debts is unheard of today. Well, so far, anyway, there's... Uh, there's talk about student loans are being canceled at forty, fifty thousand dollars. Oh, you don't owe anything anymore. Wow, you know, that's wonderful. Except who pays for that? You know, how can the entrepreneur grow and expand if he's required to return legally all his stuff, his purchased property, every fiftieth year? See, it's a problem in our society. Not so much a problem if you're all farmers. These are a few questions that are asked today. You know, the farmer has a lot more freedom to apply Yahweh's laws to his life than most who have to work for a regular wage. But this one will stick him because he's got to then observe a resting farm. And the heavy burdens laid on him by lenders plus the pressures inherent to society's economies challenge his very survival. Is he going to keep the farm or not? It's detrimental to his obedience to the laws of Yahweh if he ignores this sabbatical. So it is a problem. The other problem is we're talking about understanding the right times of these sabbaticals. We'll get into that in a minute. The Jubilee is known as the Year of Liberty. Leviticus 25.12 explains it as a holy year to Israel. It was because of the jubilees that the promised land, as I mentioned, became known as the Holy Land. On the 10th day of the seventh month, Israel celebrated the Day of Atonement. The jubilee was a year-long sabbatical following 49 years, which began on the Day of Atonement. The count toward, well, let's read it, Leviticus 25. 9 to 10, so we got a good foundation here, knowing uh, what the word says. Then shall you cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout your land. You shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which grows of itself. 
in it, nor gather the grapes of your vine undressed. For it is a jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee, you shall return every man unto his possession. Now we know that Yahweh promised uh, an abundance of crops on the sixth year. And if everybody were faithful, that, that would tide them over, like for farmers to make the payments and so forth. But uh, the count toward the next sabbatical also begins on the Jubilee. It is like the same thing as the week, the weekly days. Sabbath is the seventh day. The next day is Sunday. That starts again. It's uh, the regular weekly cycle all over again. Sunday becomes day one. And it's all a continuity altogether. Some say there's a break there. But uh, I don't believe that's, that's the way it works. It doesn't work with Pentecost either. So, as the sabbatical ends and the Jubilee's 50th year starts, on atonement in the seventh month is uh, found in Deuteronomy 31.10. The very land Israel was to be holy, given by Yahweh, and was referred to as this holy land. During that year, the book of Deuteronomy was read to the people. I believe we're going to be reading the Deuteronomy uh, this fall as, as the sabbatical begins. We'll get into that in a minute too. This, this emphasized the righteousness that was required by Yahweh. On this day, the sins of the people of the nation were confessed, which is the first requisite for establishing a return, a right standing with Yahweh. Confession is an opening of the heart, and it leads to forgiveness. And no wonder it starts on atonement, the most holy day of the year, through fasting. Yahweh's people are reminded of his righteousness and his forgiveness as they accept his grand plan for the forgiveness of sin. You know, Israel's sins were brought before them every time they sacrificed an animal, every time they had a, an offering to give to Yahweh. But the Day of Atonement was a special day that impressed upon them and their heart that this day was devoted to a deep introspection of their life and their ways. The Day of Atonement is unique. It was the only day of the year when the high priest was permitted to go into the Holy of Holies. And as we've noted before, uh, the, uh, the Jews have a, a tradition that the, they tie a rope onto his leg and if, if for some reason Yahweh didn't accept the offering and he dies, they could pull him out and nobody has to go in after him and die as well. So uh, it's very interesting how that, uh, how that played out. The righteousness Yahweh expects. The Day of Atonement was figures the forgiveness of Israel's sins and the nation's getting right again with Yahweh. Known as Yom Kippur, it's the day of covering, which Kippurth was the lid on the mercy seat that where Yahweh was uh, sitting, uh, at least figuratively. So that's where we get the word, the day of covering, the covering of sins, pointing to the true lamb of Yahweh's coming. Yash, and Yahshua's coming to take away the sins of the world and, and not just cover them, but to remove them, to be a release, just as the sabbatical was a release. 
The Jubilee has been called the outer circle of the great sabbatical system, which comprises, of course, the land sabbatical, the sabbatical month, and the Sabbath day. Just as in the sabbatical year, the Jubilee was the time of keeping the land free from work. And, of course, giving slaves liberty. It's a liber- it was a liberating Sabbath, not only from work, but also from sin. Fifty is the number of deliverance and rest. Bible scholars point out that Israel was delivered from both the Babylonian and the Egyptian captivities at the time of the Jubilee. The pattern for us as believers in Messiah is that he is the one who sets us free. The bondage of Israel was cruel. It was enforced servitude. It wasn't a happy time to be in captivity. And if we could recognize the the evils and the, the, the damage of sin is not a happy, happy thought. So Yahweh is the one that sets us free. Yahshua frees us from the bondage and shackles of sin. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed, John 8.36. And this is the key purpose of the sabbaticals and jubilees, which dovetail with Yahshua's purpose of coming to earth even to the day of his return. We don't know the day or the hour of Yahshua's return, but if it is on the sabbatical or first day of the Jubilee, we don't know exactly when that will be. There is no record that Israel ever faithfully kept the Jubilee. Some say because Israel Israel lost the Jubilees because they were commanded for all the inhabitants of the land. We read that, Leviticus 25, and they weren't there. And they forgot about it because they weren't in the land anymore. That's one theory. How ancient Israel must have thrilled to the sound of the trumpet on the Day of Atonement, announcing the release from slavery. How much greater joy will it be when the trumpet sounds and announces Yahshua's return? As this world keeps going down, we look for a savior. We look for Yahshua to return. All tears will be dried and the brokenhearted comforted. The meek and the poor in spirit will be exalted and the thirsty and the hungry will be filled at that time. None of this stuff that we see in our world will be going on anymore because Yahshua will be in control. He's getting his land back, his earth. The first trumpet is blown on the first day of the seventh month, which is the new moon day. Then follows the blowing of the second trumpet on the day of atonement, heralding uh, Yahweh's release, redemption, and deliverance. Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 11, summarizes the Sabbaths Yahweh has given us to remember, his great plan of redemption. We're told that there remains a Sabbath of rest for the people. Of Yahweh, Hebrews 4.9. Rest is the Greek sabbatismos, meaning Sabbath-keeping. Could that include the sabbaticals and jubilee? I believe so. We're talking about all the Sabbaths, right? There remains that for his people. Think of the significance of that. There's the weekly Sabbath for the people of Yahweh. There's the sabbatical rest 
Then the rest and redemption for the elect of Yahweh, who will reign with Yahshua when he returns to set up the messianic kingdom. And in Revelation 20, verse 6, we read, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of Elohim and Messiah and shall reign with him a thousand years. A long-standing debate is how to compute the Jubilee year in segments of 49 or 50 years. Well, the Jubilee year is the year following, of course, the uh, seventh sabbatical year. It's the 50th year, but not the year coming after 50 years, not the 51st year. It's the year following 49 years, seven Sabbaths can be complete. Seven times seven. It can't be broken any more than seven times seven weeks and counting to Pentecost. You don't break that sequence. Furthermore, the 50th year is also the year, uh, year one, and the count toward the next sabbatical year, seven years later. This is what we understand it is. It's not broken. To prove that the uh, Jubilee immediately follows the sabbatical year, Note the prophecy of Isaiah 37.30. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year which springs of the same. And in the third year, sow, reap, and plant vineyards, and eat the fruit thereof. One year follows the other. Sabbatical followed by the Jubilee. That's what it's talking about. And then you can plant, and then you can sow, and then you can do all your stuff in the land that, uh, that you do to farm. The day after atonement, which ends the sabbatical jubilee year, farmers can again plow and plant and so forth. If the sabbatical jubilee cycle was important to Israel, then it's all the more important to us to look for the return of Yahshua the Messiah, who's going to set all this in motion again on this earth. A central key is in Yahshua quoting Isaiah 61, 1-2. The Spirit of Yahweh, Elohim, is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to, notice these words, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh, Luke 4.18 is where he quoted that. Yahshua stopped in the middle of the verse, middle of verse 2, where Bible scholars contend he was now calling people out of the world to become his followers. The acceptable year is understood to refer to the beginning of the sabbatical year, the acceptable year. He came to preach the good tidings to the meek and humble, whose hearts were open and teachable. He would free the captives, he would build his assembly. He would now choose those who would become the nucleus of his body of believers, the ecclesia, the assembly. He told Peter, this group of called out ones would never die out, but would always exist on earth. And during the times of persecution that the early assembly went through, and then from then on, they couldn't exterminate it. The Roman church tried, couldn't do it. Tried to get rid of them, couldn't do it like the Waldensians and others. Well, these facts are germane to his second coming, brethren. The intrinsic, 
in this is the sabbaticals and jubilees. Just as the Savior was cut off in the middle of the week and died on a Wednesday, so he left unsaid the rest of Isaiah 61.2, which tells of the vengeance yet to come. Note the latter part of this verse, and the day of vengeance of our Elohim to comfort all that mourn. That was a future prophecy. He comes with anger and vengeance for the wicked, but comfort to help those who revere Yahweh's name and are true to his word and are submissive to him. And this ties in with Revelation's prophecy. And the nations were angry, and your wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should give reward unto your servants, the prophets, unto the saints, and them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. What's happening over there in, uh, in the war with Russia? They're just destroying that country, just obliterating it, trashing it. I don't know if that's what it's talking about, but certainly wars, that's what wars do. Uh, World War II, we know uh, what, what the result was, what those countries looked like after all the bombings and so forth. Thankfully, it didn't happen here, but uh, who knows what's in store. The sabbatical jubilee cycle pictures the grand finale of the believer's earthly sojourn. It represents fulfillment of the promise made to the redeemed that will be done when Yahshua returns in the day of vengeance. Although we're not sure when his return would be, it could likely be on a feast day within a sabbatical or jubilee. Could be. Because it's talking about he's going to come on a moed, an appointed time. Daniel 11 says the end shall be at the appointed time that is at a moed or feast. None of the feasts of the seventh scripture month had been, to our knowledge, that have been fulfilled as far as we know. The others have. They've had a double uh, fulfillment. So it's just something we need to look for. Studies to determine the secular dates of the sabbatical and jubilees rest heavily on the Savior's beginning ministry, which is most likely the year 27 to 28, the sabbatical. The Jews were so determined to keep all of Yahweh's laws after the return from the Babylonian captivity that it's alleged there was no reason to keep the Jubilee years as they would not have reason to sell themselves into slavery or be redeemed. That's one of the, uh, one of the reasons given that they didn't uh, keep on going with the Jubilees. I don't know, maybe they wouldn't even remember after the Babylonian captivity, but uh, 400 some years. Therefore, records of those years are virtually non-existent. An interesting discovery is that the Gregorian calendar, which we use, that's our calendar on the wall in our culture, on which the sabbatical cycle falls are evenly divisible by seven. If you have a RSB, fourth edition, you can go to the chart we have on there on page 233, a chart on sabbatical years. Every one of those sabbatical years is evenly divisible by seven. If Yahshua's, uh, the, the year he began his ministry is 28 of our common era, that would be divisible by seven. And from then on, it continues every seven, 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 seven. It all fits. So, I, I mean, that, that just happened to be, I, I, don't, know the, I don't know if it was uh, 
Well, maybe it was planned somehow by Yahweh, but uh, it, it certainly works. So the year 2023 is divisible by seven. That's this uh, 2223, which would be the sabbatical. Divisible uh, by seven. And it runs through, of course, next year. Check the fourth edition, and you'll see that. We don't, we don't set dates for Yahshua's return. I know anybody who set a date, I can immediately say it's wrong. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. Now, we could know the year. He could know the sabbatical, possibly, when we see these things coming. But certainly, Yahweh would have us in his good graces if we were keeping his sabbatical and his, his, uh, if we knew the Jubilee and kept that. But uh, that's uh, kind of hard to do with the, at least the Jubilee. A sabbatical is a little easier because they we can go back into history and find, like, just like the Sabbath. People say, well, oh, the Sabbath's been lost. How, how do you know that Saturday is the real day? We know because all we have to do is go back to Yahshua. He didn't tell the scribes and Pharisees, hey, guys, you're keeping the wrong Sabbath. He kept the same Sabbath they did, and that records show that they kept the, the day we keep as the Sabbath uh, all the way through time. So it'd be the same thing with the Sabbath, sabbatical year. But we don't set dates, and Yasha just says, watch. When you see these things come to pass, know that the end is near. So he says, watch. That's what we do. We add up all the, all the circumstances and all the things going on and say, hey, this fits this, this fits the Olivet Prophecy here, 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 and so forth. In the historical account of 1 Maccabees, which is an apocryphal book, but it does have some some reliable history. The Assyrians, the Assyrians renewed their attacks on Judas Maccabeus and the Jews in the 150th year, which according to virtually all Bible authorities is equivalent to 162 BCE. And in 1 Maccabees 6.53, it's apparent that this same year was a land rest or a sabbatical. I'm just showing historically, when the sabbatical probably is. It says, but they had no food in storage because it was the seventh year. Those who had found safety in Judea from the Gentiles had consumed the last of the stores. They ate it all up. Well, it wasn't just that. Archaeology, and I believe, really nails it. It confirms the correct sabbatical dates. It includes the recital of Deuteronomy 7.15 by Agrippa, the first in a post-sabbatical year, making the sabbatical year 41-42. Again, evenly divisible by seven. I'm getting this out of research manuals and, and, and uh, reference books. I'd, I'm not making these dates up. A note of indebtedness from Wadi Mur'aba At in sec, the second year of Nero, 5556 CE, indicating 5556 as a sabbatical year. Another one. Rental contracts by Simon Bar Kosaba, indicating 132 to 133 as a sabbatical year, again, divisible by seven. Three, fourth, and fifth century tombstones near Sodom indicating 433 and 434 and 440, 441 were sabbatical years. So we have historical evidence. We have archaeology. In addition, when the farmers are keeping sabbaticals by letting their fields rest, they can do building projects too. They got time on their hands, right? 
You don't have to plow the field. What are you going to do? Well, it's kind of like we do. We have time on our hands. They take a vacation, work on a house. They would uh, start building stuff. So what do we have? In the year uh, CE 41-42, King Agrippa I started building the expansive third wall around the northern parts of Jerusalem. Well, he had a lot of help. Sabbatical year. In the year 62-63, Agrippa II started to rebuild Caesarea Philippi. Same reason. And then there are key historical events that hinge on the Sabbath years. 69-70, the destruction of Jerusalem. In the latter part, going out of the sabbatical year, 69-70. Again, divisible by seven. In the year 132-133, Bar Kokhba, the revolt of the Jews against the Romans, has been cited as a sabbatical year. Now, some modern scholars have adopted a sabbatical calendar for the Second Temple period one year later, although there are many prominent scholars who still maintain a sabbatical cycle consistent with a fellow named Benedict Zuckerman, whose theory was first proposed in 1857. Zuckerman concluded a 3837 BCE sabbatical year. Among those who have uh, advocated adjusting Zuckerman's findings, chronology, the most extensive have been those of Ben Zion Wachholder of Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. This professor, whose theory was first proposed in 1973, wrote several books, The Calendar of, of Sabbatical Cycles During the Second Temple and the Early Rabbinic Period, 1973, the timing of messianic movements and the calendar of the sabbatical cycles, 1975, and the calendar of Sabbath years during the Second Temple era, a response he wrote in 1983. His proposed set of sabbatical years are offset by one year, by being one year later than Zuckerman's. His proposal fits exactly what we have in the Bible. This guy wrote three books. Come on. Nobody has done that on the sabbatical years. And he's very well studied. He is uh, part of the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. So I trust the man. I trust that his findings, plus he goes through a lot of more archaeology. In fact, he had access to legal documents from the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt that were not available to the Zuckerman. Only within the last 50 years has it become possible through archaeological discoveries, etc., to determine with almost certainty, almost certainty what the exact biblical year sequence was and is. And two brilliant historical studies by Wachholder have solved the riddle of when the sabbatical years occurred in ancient times and when they ought to be observed today. To me, he's the, he's the authority. And again, his Sabbath years fit exactly with our findings and in the chart in the RSB. The Jubilee and sabbatical year provided a long-term means for dating events, a fact that has become obvious from the soon after the legislation is put into effect. It's... It, it is of some interest, then, that the Babylonian Talmud, 
Tractate Sanhedrin 40AB records that in the time of the judges, legal events such as contracts or criminal cases were dated according to the jubilee cycle, the sabbatical cycle within the jubilee cycle, and the year within the sabbatical cycle. The Samaritan community apparently used this method of dating as late as the 14th century. When an editor of one of the writings of the Samaritans wrote that he finished his work on the 61st Jubilee cycle since the entry into Canaan. Now, this is the Babylonian Talmud, and uh, I don't know how much faith you can put in that, but uh, they were somehow keeping track of it, at least they claim, in the fourth year of the fifth sabbatical of that cycle. So we have evidence, strong evidence, for the right Sabbath year. It's, it's there. Sabbath years solving problems are very interesting as well. Yahweh made a statement in John 4. Maybe you've wondered about this. While traveling with the disciples to Galilee, he stops and chats with the Samaritan woman. You remember that? He struck up a conversation. He said in verse 35, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. This is at the beginning of Yahshua's ministry, which was a sabbatical year. What's he talking about? He's saying, look, it looks like we can go out and harvest, but we can't. We've got to wait four months yet. It's still the sabbatical. It answers a question that I've always had with that verse. What is he talking about? There's still more four months to go when harvesting could begin after atonement. Luke 3.23 tells us he was about 30 when he was baptized and began his ministry, which was for three and a half years, dying at Passover in springtime. This means he was born the year 3 BCE. Now, scholars have said it's, he was either born 4 BCE, 3 BCE, 2 BCE. Well, according to the numerology here, Luke 3.23, he was about 30 when he was baptized, and then he began his ministry right after that. And he ministered for three and a half years. This means he was born in the year 3 BCE when Herod was still living. He couldn't have been born after that. Likely in September, likely at the Feast of Trumpets or maybe Tabernacles. That would make sense, wouldn't it? It would fit pretty well. The name Jubilee is the Latin term, and it means 50, which is from the Hebrew word yovel, and we mentioned that, meaning ram's horn. The term is in reference to the man's horn, ram's horn that was, of course, sounded for the Jubilee, for uh, the start of it, for the start of the land's rest. All the lands are returned to their proper tribal owners. These owners from among the 12 tribes were assigned their land by Yahweh. So the Jubilee year was celebrated consistently in Israel after each seventh sabbatical year, right? <laughs> not exactly. The Talmudic view is that the Jubilee year was not observed during the whole second temple period because the majority of Jews were no longer living in the land. In their book, The Feasts of the L-O-R-D, Kevin Howard and Marvin Rosenthal have 
stated the following. The observance of the Jubilee year, like that of the sabbatical year, was also neglected during Israel's early history. In fact, there's no historical record, biblical or extra-biblical, that Israel ever once observed the Jubilee year. Josephus often cited sabbatical observance, sabbatical year observance, but never that of the Jubilee year. So, if Yahshua comes on a Jubilee year, when is it? We could take our best guess, but we don't know for sure. And as I mentioned before, the ancient rabbis generally believed that the Jubilee was no longer in effect after the exile of the northern ten tribes since the biblical command for observance was for all the inhabitants thereof. Well, the inhabitants weren't there. They were taken captive. So they believed the Jubilee year applied only when the Jewish people were in the land, or the Israelites were in the land, I should say, with each tribe having its own territory. Maybe that's why the sabbatical year was the one mentioned by the people's solemn oath in the time of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 10.31. Since the timing is not known today for the Jubilee year, the shofar, the ram's horn, is blown in the synagogue as a memorial of the Jubilee year at the close of Yom Kippur each year. Well, we could go on, but there's a lot more significance to the sabbatical and Jubilee years. There's a lot more tied to it than I think we realize and if we knew more, historically, we could make more connections. But I think this is enough. This is enough to show the importance of these days in the historical context and how we can determine today when the sabbatical is. So we don't know. I remember the most well-known Protestant crusader, you know who I'm talking about, typically spouted at the, uh, his, his crusades, he could come tonight. Are you ready? Could he? <laughs> Think about it. What prophecies have to be fulfilled before Yahshua returns? May Yahweh bless you.